and welcome to the Leading Conversation with me, Tom Dawson Scrub, and former Springbok Sevens captain, Kyle Brown. With me being stuck in a bio bubble, I've been a bit slow in getting these podcasts out, but Kyle and myself promise to be back more regularly in the forthcoming weeks. We do appreciate all the feedback we get through our social media channels. This week, we venture into the startup world and to CEO of Yoko, Katlejo Mapai. Yoko's mission is to create opportunities for people and small business to operate through a payment system for any size of business. Katlejo's story is power. You often hear people talk about their why, but few do it as easily as Katlejo, and you really get a sense of what they are about in this conversation. With three other friends, he started this business that has just recently gained its 40,000th customer, having started some seven years ago. Katlejo is one smart human being, but also someone who is seemingly constantly trying to find ways to connect people in order to achieve their mission. We dig into the pains and joys of his leadership journey and how he learns, what it's like to be a founder and leader of a business that has scaled and scaled quickly, and how they are a business whose purpose is almost stronger than what they actually do. At under 40 years of age, Katlejo has seriously made waves in the world, having worked in Silicon Valley, Nigeria, and now in South Africa. I have no doubt that this is going to get you thinking. Enjoy, and we look forward to hearing your feedback. Great. Well, here we are again. Um, it's been a few weeks delay, and I'm happy to take most, if not all, of the responsibility for that, Carl. All, um, all of it. Have been, all of it. Tom. All of it. All of it. I've been... Uh, my head stuck into trying to lead myself and I apologize but we are back and uh, looking forward to another uh, fantastic guest today. Carl, how are you? How are you going in Stellenbosch? I'm fine. I, thank goodness I didn't hold my breath waiting for you to organize the next uh, podcast because yo, you've, uh, you've been stuck in your little bubble there but I'm, I'm happy to see that you've been progressing very well through the Varsity Cup and I look forward to what you guys do in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, Carl. Thanks. Yes. Now, here I am in Pretoria, coming from Pretoria. So it's nice that we can do these things remotely. And what a privilege to be with the founder of Yoko, uh, Katlejo Mpai. Katlejo, thanks so much for joining us today. I know you're a busy man and um, yeah, we, we are particularly excited about this one. How are you on this fine, uh, on this fine Wednesday? Hey, Tom. Hey, Carl. Great to be here and uh, hello to your listeners. Uh, I'm great. Thank you very much. Um, having a good start to the year, very focused and just feeling personally in a very good space. So thank you for asking. Great. Great. I mean, you clearly are, um, there's a, you're a man on a mission and you're an organization on a mission. You know, we were doing our research and, and looking around, there's certainly some things going. We, we always like to start with a more personal question, um, which is if there's one value that you most love being around, what is that value? Sure. So uh, we, we have core val- four, four core values at the organization. Making space to explore, um, keep it simple, uh, stay connected, and master your craft. And the stay connected uh, piece is what we refer to as our human value. And that's, that's the stuff I love, just being human. Um, forming connections, uh, recognizing them, recognizing other people, and just always remembering that whatever we do, or whatever we do, we're just humans, um, and we need to respect that. So, and I also just find it very humbling, uh, and something that keeps the feet on the ground, and certainly uh, something that makes our environment quite magical. Yeah, thanks. I, I... Can I ask you a bit more about staying connected? That's something that I've heard in different environments. What 
What sort of inspired you to say, sure, in my organization, I want staying connected to be something that's important to me? That's a great question. Um, it's the same thing that inspired me into entrepreneurship. I always joke that if you came to me a decade ago and said you were going to be an entrepreneur, I'd probably burst out laughing. I was quite comfortable in my environment with my suit and tie, um, helping, helping clients. Um, but at some point, I started to realize that um, in institutions, whether it's school or university or even work environments, there is a tendency to um, archetype people. So this is what good looks like. This is how you dress. This is how you talk. Um, and if you do these things, you'll be successful. And it kind of works in some places. And, you know, they, 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 you know, if you think of a school environment, it molds certain people. Um, uh, there's a, you know, a UCT person or a, a University of Pretoria person or somebody from Marty's. Um, and, you know, you think of certain work environments and you're like, hey, there's, there's a McKinsey person, right, uh, across from the room. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's nothing against that. I want to be clear because it has worked. Um, but growing up in, in many different environments and having to context shift, um, I started asking myself, why do we need to do that? Like, why do we need to ask people to be the same or to archetype them? Are we not losing out on the value of diverse thinking, ideas? And importantly, this idea that, you know, somebody can bring their whole selves into an environment, irrespective of where they come from. That for me is the definition of diversity. It's not a numbers uh, game. It's a safety game. Can I be myself? And in the context of that, I started to realize that, um, you know, I wanted to see this dream manifest. <laughs> I needed to start a company, right? Um, where, you know, people could walk to the door, be 100% themselves. And in that context, through connection and being together, uh, we move forward towards the same goal and uh, make things happen. And so I always joke that in many respects, uh, Yoko is a social experiment on allowing people to be themselves. And yeah, that's where the connection piece comes from. Sure, that's awesome. I, 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 there's so much in your first answer that I want to dive into. Um, so this was a social experiment and you felt like you had to start your own company. Why couldn't you go into an existing company and just be an influencer? Why did you need to start your own thing? Uh, I think the truth is that I tried, you know, and because um, I just believe in this. And, you know, at some point you realize uh, that... There's what's there, um, and you can merely be a participant in that, or there's this unknown um, new space where you can be a maker. And in life, I believe you're constantly making these two big decisions. And I tried the participant side um, from school, high school, um, you know, university, uh, my first jobs, and you know, had sort of very different uh, outcomes. But in the end, I genuinely started feeling a frustration, like this cannot be the way it is. And um, once I started realizing that actually the only way to truly see out this uh, vision of how things could be, I needed to um, set something up and uh, give it the best chance of success. And I guess uh, the, 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 the beauty of the journey has been 
is, has been the opportunity to do that with friends. Uh, so I founded the company with three friends uh, back in 2013. Uh, we have a shared view on this. Um, you know, the, the, the company was born out of friendship. And in the end, um, yeah, it's just amazing just seeing the manifestation of uh, such a simple human principle. Kateko, your, your pathway to this point, or I suppose the point of starting Yoko, I mean, I think we all talk about how your journey shapes you and so many of your different experiences help you, uh, you know, take different avenues along the way. So I'm quite interested to, to understand what are the different experiences you had leading up to Yoko that, that, that pushed you in the direction of connection, of, you know, that, that constant accessibility you were talking about. I think it's um, always being accountable in one of the interviews I watched so a constant accountability, and that was based on the, the flattening of the hierarchy of your system. And where did all of that experience come from? And what were the, so some of the real gems and pearls that shaped you along the way? Wow. Um, I'll, I'll try and keep this answer as short as possible. <laughs> so just in, intervene if you need to. Uh, so I had an interesting um, sort of early life uh, and, and, and background, quite eclectic. I... I was born in Johannesburg, Soweto. Uh, I moved to Cape Town when I was four, spent a few months, and then moved to the U.S. with my family uh, on the East Coast for two years, came back to Cape Town, early 90s. Um, and it was an interesting time in, in South Africa. You know, it was a lot of transition. Um, I was young, and um, you, know, you could really feel the, the tension in the air and the anxiety around the change, especially with adults. You could feel it. Or maybe I was just super sensitive to it. Um, but... You know, experienced that and then, you know, left the country again mid-90s. Um, this time to the West Coast, uh, we stayed in Palo Alto um, in, in, in the middle of the Silicon Valley. And this was also an interesting time uh, for the internet and, and, and all these things. And then came back to South Africa, went to high school in Pretoria, and then um, went to, to the University of Cape Town for university. Uh, there's a lot of context switching I've just described, right? And in all those environments, um, I had to uh, adapt, learn, uh, get to know people. Um, and they were just so vastly different. And I guess, you know, that's not easy, right? Especially as a child, uh, learning or having to do that. But in the end, I guess it, it, it taught me um, uh, what it was like to be on the outside, Right and 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 just sort of this idea of, in, of of being included, and how important it is, and that whether I liked it or not, um, <laughs> every environment I was in, I was different. Right, it was just one of those things, um, and that pressure to conform um, to assimilate was very high, and I just couldn't do it. Right, um, and that came with its own challenges, and. In the end, you know, that kind of builds like a character and a lot of resi uh, sorry, resilience. Um, and then, you know, at some point in your life, you end up in an environment where it's kind of normal to be different, right? Uh, so I worked in a company um, where my second co-founder, uh, uh, Carl, where, you know, there's 150 people, but 30 different nationalities. So if you were sitting at, a, at your desk, the person to your right and to your left was from a different country. And in the end, um, what I started noticing was we uh, no longer identified by nationality and all these very simplistic um, identity dynamics. 
we, we started to connect on uh, personality, um, interests, uh, passions, um, and just things that just made us human, right? Um, and it just fostered this incredible, warm, um, sort of high-performance environment where everyone was just sort of filled with a lot of character and moving forward. And um, that was really inspirational for me. And then I think, you know, in the end, um, it was also kind of uh, an, an environment where folks were expected to really... Um, um, bring their best selves to work in terms of performance and doing well and just taking you know their work very seriously and then the last organization I worked at um, before starting the company was Rocket Internet and that was quite an interesting um, experience also very deeply multicultural but people had just come from everywhere to work on a problem on the continent and once again, they took it seriously and um, they, they, they applied themselves and they put their whole selves. And, you know, I just started seeing this pattern that in an environment, if, you know, you can um, move away from like having these last large clusters of people, but just have like kind of these small microcosms um, and there's a common goal and like, people are given the space to be 100% themselves and, you know, there's high expectations, something magical begins to happen. Um, and, and even how people connect, right? They start connecting on a very different level beyond sort of these basic tenets of identity, but through into deeper, you know, uh, ideas of like, you know, common interest, values, um, what they care about. And then you start seeing something quite magical. So, yeah, sorry, long answer, but I hope that no, was helpful. Okay. No, no, it's great. I'm, like, very, you, I'm very interested in that. You could have carried on. You could have carried on. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm fascinated because you've now mentioned in two of your answers around, like, I had to start a company. Um, you, you talk so passionately and so um, with such clarity around the human side of things. But then that seems to have been married with this need around hang on we need to give access to businesses to you know a payment mechanism like I, I wouldn't want to oversimplify it and make it so binary as it was the people thing that excited you and then the the, 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 the actual business came later or vice versa but how did those two things marry for you how do they marry for you the purpose of the business as well as that individual purpose that Katlejo has and, and your partners of course that's a great question, and, and I'm glad you brought that into the fold. Um, I guess I've been hampering more on the human side because this is a piece that doesn't really get interrogated, right? Um, and we'll come I, back to it, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know, it's, it's uh, understanding and knowing why you're doing something. Um, once that's clear, the, the what and the how uh, is completely justified, right? It can always come back to it. And to your question on, on the business side, why do we do this particular business model? How does it all connect? Um, so, you know, when, when, when Bradley, uh, my other co-founder, our CFO, we, we, we met at Rocket Internet and we left, came back to Cape Town after a nice stint in Lagos, um, helping to incubate Jumia. And Carl um, and, and Lungiso were around, and the four of us just started spending time together. And during that time, you know, we had sort of both the fortune and the privilege to be on sabbatical after many years of work. 
And imagine just four of us hanging out um, and just having very uh, d- deep philosophical discussions around um, what we were seeing in the country, right? The, the inequality, uh, the marginalization, um, people just being left behind. And then you, you look at that um, and then you start sort of dissecting what's causing this, right? Some of the structural issues, um, uh, apartheid, sanctions, um, the concentration of the economy, uh, just all these layers um, that are more or less just keeping things, everything this, keeping things the same. And then you reflect on your own life and your own privilege, uh, you know, the ability to, to go to good schools, uh, go to university, um, have just sort of a myriad of opportunities um, in the professional world that are just there, right? It's like, just take it. And, you know, the four of us were just like, hmm, you know, we can continue down this path. Or we can start dealing with this challenge that we see every single day and it's just making us uncomfortable and making us question um, the very nature of our privilege. And it was just amazing that the four of us were going through that at the same time. And we looked at lots of different business models. Um, but in the end, we, we circled back to um, uh, this mobile point of sale uh, model um, over and over again, because it was interesting, we, we first saw it as a solution and a cool piece of technology. And then we, 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 we started looking at the numbers in South Africa, right? So, you know, 55 million population, um, at the time, seven out of 10 adult consumers carrying a card in their pocket, um, but only like 5% of businesses being able to accept a card payment, right? So, 75% chance of a business, oh, sorry, a consumer with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a card in their pocket, but a 5% chance of a business owner having a card machine. Like, cool, what's causing this, um, this lopsidedness? And um, when we started double-clicking, we, we found um, a dynamic that you see across the economy. So, yeah, fine, you need six months of trading history. So no startups and new, no new businesses can get a machine when they need it the most, right? I mean, how are they gonna grow? Um, you needed to take out a 24 month contract. So if you're a seasonal business um, and you don't know where you're gonna be in the next 12 months, or you're just starting, are you gonna take out a 24 month contract on something where at the time you had to pay four, 400 to 500 rands per month just to rent a machine? And then there was the fees, right? Um, which were completely opaque and um, with the information asymmetry uh, meant that as a smaller business, um, you were going to completely uh, get um, nailed. I mean, you had fees going up to five, six percent, really like imagine. Right. Um, and then in addition to that, you needed to be in a nice uh, central commercial area so a salesperson could come see you. So just layers, 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 layers. And all of a sudden, that five percent out of five million businesses began to make sense. And, um, you know, within the founding team, uh, uh, two of us have uh, backgrounds in, uh, in, in the telco space, mobile. Um, so we spent our careers in the space. Um, uh, Lungisa, CTO, built uh, one of the world's first mobile voiceover IP companies um, back in 2006. So we had a, sort of this deep mobile uh, backgrounds and we, we, we hadn't seen the, 
the similarities in business models between you know, um, uh, having a, a mobile phone and having a card machine, but they're completely identical, right? So um, you know, in the one instance, you target customers, you, you vet them, you onboard them, um, you start making phone calls, you start making transactions, you pay for those phone calls, you pay for those transactions, you grow the value of the customer, you manage churn. It's completely identical business models. And we asked ourselves a very simple question. Why can I walk into uh, a Vodacom, uh, fill in a form, um, and, you know, within sort of the next while I, I'm, I'm, I'm signed up, I'm vetted, I can leave with something as high value as an iPhone, uh, a SIM card, and I can make phone calls on the same day. Yet with a card machine, um, you know, uh, first of all, like just trying to get an appointment with somebody. Um, second, there's all this permission. There's just all these layers, and next thing you know, it could be weeks, and I'm not even sure whether I'm going to get the terminal. So we're like, well, why in the same business model is like one day, and in the, in, in the other business model is weeks? And we took this payments construct, and we, so we, we took the mobile construct, and we applied it to payments, and we realized that by applying that construct and adding a bit of e-commerce, and we could solve for the access problem in an effective and affordable way. And we could remove these barriers, these artificial barriers, in our opinion, uh, that were constraining um, businesses from getting a tool that is fundamental to growth. Like you need it. <laughs> okay. So that was kind of the backstory. Um, and in, in this, in this uh, uh, context, we realized that there was a general distribution problem into small businesses. It wasn't just this. So this is the primary reason uh, large institutions just didn't want to help um, a smaller business. Um, you know, the revenues were too small. They were difficult to reach. Um, and by themselves, uh, the economics just didn't make any sense. And we started to realize that, you know, by coming in with payments, figuring out that distribution problem, all of a sudden we'd actually be solving a much broader distribution problem and on top of this network, we could actually drive like all sorts of access to things that were previously inaccessible to this part of the market. And then maybe just to close off, um, just kind of some top level numbers. So I think across the continent, small businesses make up about 90%, right? If you sort of, yeah. Um, on average, they contribute about 50% to GDP, like if you aggregate them, and they drive the majority of employment. This is how important they are. Um, but because they're small and fragmented, uh, they're difficult to reach. You can't just send salespeople out. And this is why they've been a little bit left out. And digital is changing that equation. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. So, I mean, you really have found a way of marrying your, your personal desires, uh, you know, with a need. And, I, I, you know, I, um, I love the thinking from a leadership point of view of like working from a challenge backwards. So what is the world of you know what does the world of tomorrow require from us and then working backwards from that rather than just working from personal need or want you know so I, 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 yeah, it's clear that you've done that you've mentioned your um, your co-founders your the, the team of four and probably myself and Carl being fascinated in teams and teaming I'd love to explore that a little bit more and um, you've remained founders and all still together um, I'm sure there have been some I'm sure there have been some ebbs and flows uh, through that dynamic how have you kept that that dynamic um, 
dynamic how you know how have you kept that 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 foursome dynamic and evolving and still intact thanks tom yeah i mean let's be clear right it's completely unusual um that a team of four founders haven't killed each other um after (laughs) seven years of working together but the reality is um you know i met lungisa when we were kids um, in the in the early nineties in Cape Town, we we went to the same aftercare together. Um, both left Cape Town, and then randomly reconnected at the University of Cape Town, queuing for business science, um, and rekindled our friendship. So that's how far back we go. Um, and Carl, I met at Delta Partners. Bradley, I met at Rocket Internet. Um, and in all instances, we we met in institutions. Um, we worked together. Uh, we studied together and then we built a friendship. So we had sort of these experiences of being able to work together and build a relationship, um, a friendship. And that happened in all instances. And then the question was, cool, could all four of us um, uh, do this, right? And that sabbatical time that I described earlier was the opportunity uh, to do this. And, you know, we weren't working, right? We were just hanging out, um, you know, listening to music, going to festivals. Oh, you gotta teach me, you just... gotta teach me. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, that, it was, that, was the, that was the context. Um, just once again, being human. And then we started coalescing around this um, common purpose, which is enabling people to thrive. We just want everyone around us to do well, right? Uh, Team, customers, everyone. Anyone who touches or engages with us, we just want them to do well. It's really that simple. Um, because we don't think in zero sum and we don't think in scarcity. We just think in abundance. And then sort of imagine this is common purpose. Now, where do we channel this common purpose? Well, we channeled this common purpose into starting Yoko. So we started it together. We decided to do it together. Um, and that was unusual, right? Nobody was pulled in. Um, it was a common decision. We're going to do this. And as a result, um, uh, what you're seeing is um, the manifestation of this purpose and the what and the how is going to continue changing. You're going to see lots of different things, but the purpose will always remain constant. And what's happened is, yes, it hasn't all been smooth sailing. Not at all, right? And... Um, you know, we've stared failure um, uh, down the barrel multiple times, um, even from the beginning. You know, we spent a year trying to get a license to operate and in month 11, we could have been told to piss off. Right. Like, and this is not going to happen. Um, but what, what's remained, remained true and constant is the, the bond of our relationship um, and that it transcends and the purpose Everything else is additive. Um, and as such, we've been able to grow um, uh, through the organization. Um, our dynamic has been able to grow and we're extremely close, right? So, you know, when pre-COVID, we used to sit in the same office opposite each other um, and that would not have stopped. To, yeah, that would not have stopped. Um, uh, we speak all the time. We call each other all the time. We're, we're a unit. And this has been enabled through the history, the relationship, the common purpose, um, and, and, and something that transcends um, sort of the, the, anything physical beyond the business or money and any of these types of things. Human, once again. <laughs> can, can, I really want to jump in because 
So we've got this small little coffee company that my actually, and it's a very similar, very starting point where myself and two other ex-rugby players have started a coffee company. We made, and, and one of the major ideas for us starting this was so that we could keep us closer together. We want to be closer together, right? Um, and, and one of, so, so what I'm really interested to know from you is from a friendship point of view and then from a business partner point of view, what, what have been like the key responsibilities that each of you have to do or, or in a general terms, like what, what's kept the friendship together and then what's kept the business partnership together? Yeah, so I think on terms of what's kept the friendship together, um, you know, I mentioned that we, prior to starting Yoko, um, there was already a, um, a sort of a, a professional friendship relationship that had been cultivated. So that's been super helpful. And even, you know, pre-Yoko, those dynamics got tested, right? In difficult moments. And in those difficult moments, the right reactions happened. There was support. Um, and, you know, we were able to see things through. And I think, you know, I, I was just telling an investor this um, a little while back that, you know, we, we, in the context of, like, not always having smooth sailing and, like, having challenges, um, over the years, um, we've always supported each other, right? If anyone was struggling, and it was never a conversation. It just happened, right? It was like, almost that thing you have with family, or if there's a problem, you just come in and, and, and you sort out. You don't have a big conversation, you just sort it out, and you support and you're there. Um, that's been an, an important sort of foundation and anchor um, that's, uh, that's, that's allowed, you know, sort of everything to happen. And then, I guess, you know, at the same time, and like life uh, also happens, right? So if you can imagine, um, since we started working together, um, you know, uh, Carl and Lungi have had gotten married, had two kids. Um, Bradley and I recently got engaged. Um, you know, life is happening and we're moving forward um, and, and we're growing. But the most important thing is that within these life moments um, and, and things that require time and, and personal attention, there's always been space um, to pay attention to those things because you know that you'll always be supported without question. And I guess maybe what I'm getting to here, ultimately, guys, is trust, right? Um, we trust each other. <laughs> sure. Then, then on the flip side of that, like what, what would you say would... I mean, if you're now speaking to us, which you are, sorry, and you're looking at a small business, you say, guys, you're all friends going into this. But these would be the most obvious stumbling blocks that you could come across in the next three to five, ten years. If you're going to stick this out, be aware of these. And, and yeah, this is, I mean, this is potentially how to navigate them. So, number one is um, being very clear on why you're doing this and, and stating it and saying it out loud. And the sooner you can do that, the better. This is the most important thing. Why are you doing this? Why have you come together, right? And it's not easy to articulate this because often it's a feeling, but you should try and have those conversations. So that's, that's one, um, and that'll always hold true. And then the second thing um, is, and I can relay a personal story here, is... You know, when we started working together on, on Yoko in, in 2013, you know, we're trying to get a license to operate. And, you know, we, we hadn't defined roles. Um, we were all interested in a lot of things. There was a lot of talent in the group. Um, 
And it's interesting, uh, human nature, especially in a context like this, is you want to prove something to yourself, right? And what do I mean by that is you often want to put yourself um, in something that you know is a weakness because you want to prove something to yourself, right? You want to prove that you can actually do it and the ego kicks in. And um, I remember those early days, like we all were doing all these things, other things that we just wanted to prove to ourselves. And in the process, we were like a little stiffing on each other's toes a little bit, right? And like just kind of a little friction here and there. And then um, we uh, did this amazing exercise. Uh, it was actually something that Bradley uh, recommended. We did this Gallup uh, Strength Finder um, to uh, understand, um, you know, what, are, what were our intrinsic uh, strengths and what intrinsically energized us. So we did that exercise and all of a sudden we had like a sort of a map um, of each other. And then we spent time with a coach, um, understanding like what our dynamics were going to be as a group. And I'll never forget it. Like after a sort of a, a morning session between the four of us um, in 2013 in winter, just a morning, just going through this exercise, um, we basically codified um, how we got things done. And we've never had to revisit that ever again. Um, and even today, we never discuss who's going to do something. We just know. Um, and it just that exercise, just that little exercise and spending a bit of time on like, you know, this is who we are. This is what energizes us. This is where we make our highest contribution. And on the basis of that, that should determine roles. You know, between the clear purpose and that, it's been, um, you know, a very uh, additive and compounding uh, story since. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, I have to ask the obvious question that comes into my mind is, and I'm sure this is for many startups that grow. So you've got this powerful purpose with this powerful connection of trust that sits within the founder team. And then shit happens and you get big. How do you transcend those like those obvious values, that obvious purpose down, and even then articulate and, de and define roles for people as you get bigger and bigger? Thanks, Tom. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, the company's been through s just such different phases. Um, you know, 2013 uh, spent getting a license to operate it was a very um uh, academic year um writing lots of documents lots of planning um you know a bit of fundraising but we couldn't really fundraise because we didn't have a license so we just had people on ice um but we weren't operating right and it was just a lot of conceptual thinking planning when we get our license going to 2014 um and we start hiring our first team and, um, you know, we're in project mode now, right? We're building stuff. Uh, we're getting things done. We're preparing to, to, to go live for a beta program. 2015, uh, we, you know, sorry, late 2014, we get certified by Visa and MasterCard. 2015, we start operating for the first time. So getting customers, uh, revenue coming in, etc. You know, all these were such, like, fundamentally different stages. And, you know, just I remember 2015 was one of the hardest years, maybe the hardest year I can remember in the company that just that transitioning, that transition into operating after two years um, and sort of uh, 
getting everyone into growth mode was just hard, right? We were struggling to grow and figure things out just because the culture that had been defined up until that point. And in the midst of building things and things taking time, you can easily lose like your rudder. And I remember in 2015, um, sort of, we started transitioning into this risk averse uh, space where we're like, well, you know, we need to get the transaction volume, we need to grow. And instead of like trying to figure it out for small businesses, we started like going for medium sized businesses, right? And offering them a great solution. Fortunately, um, the year came to an end. We rediscovered like um, our, 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 our purpose and that we want to work with small businesses and we're going to figure it out even though it felt risky. And then 2016 came and we just applied all our minds to like how are we are going to make this work, right? And we, we grew uh, 10 times that year. Um, and then the following year, um, and <laughs> I remember that year, like the way we used to do budgeting was cool salaries, um, what we're going to spend on growth and then everything else. It was really that simple. That's how like we, 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 we needed to grow. Um, and then following that growth, we, we, we got our first piece of venture capital um, and we got our first piece of like institutional capital into the business. And we went from, um, uh, you know, budgeting uh, with three things <laughs> to having plenty, right? And abundance. And, you know, this created new problems, right? Um, uh, we, we doubled the team, you know, was just, you know, really moving uh, in all sorts of direction. And I'll never forget um, April 2018 when we hadn't shown sort of year-on-year -year growth uh, between, the two, between April 2017 and 2018. And I was like, okay, like we need to pause now, okay? Like we have a problem here. And um, this is a long answer to your question, Tom, that we've gotten to that point now and we've gotten to that size where you know, the things that we hadn't codified um, around how we do things, um, how to take decisions, how to move forward, how we show up. We just hadn't written this down, right? Um, and now, like, you just felt like friction, things feeling slow, a little bit bureaucratic, all these things. And we just took a big pause, um, worked um, with some incredible people um, to uh, sit and codify uh, what we call the Yoko formula. And in that process, um, we, 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 we defined our core, right? And, you know, what is the core? Um, well, I've spoken a lot about purpose um, and that, you know, we exist to enable people to thrive. We wrote this down for the first time, okay? And we didn't pull it up from nowhere. We just four, pulled it up from so, the inside. So, so are we talking yeah. four years, five years later? That was the first time you wrote it down? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and then, so, wrote that down. Like, what's our vision? Cool. Um, we want to remove barriers. We want to open commerce for all. Open commerce became our vision. Got that down. And then, you know, I already spoke about our core values. Um, making space to explore. Uh, keep it simple. Uh, stay connected and master your craft. And all of a sudden, we defined a formula um, and not something that we grabbed from Google or Facebook or some other tech company, but a formula that actually emerged when we reflected on the combination of activities 
that always or consistently drove success or great, led to great outcomes. The formula emerged over the years and that's where the, the time thing is really interesting, right? Is it's all well and good um, defining your core values <laughs> before you get started um, <laughs> without really like starting, right? Or being tested yeah. or seeing how things emerge. Whereas actually um, we, we had an opportunity to reflect um, and, you know, this is saying that culture is read-only, right? So it kind of, it emerges, it's what is there. And we saw this formula and this pattern uh, emerging over and over again when we had great outcomes. And we just basically got that down into paper. And every week now in our company, All Hands, the All Hands starts with 10 minutes um, with uh, uh, four people across the organization telling a story of what each one of those things um, uh, means to them and how it's manifested every single week. We touch on it. Um, so and it's each, value, each yes. value gets its airtime by virtue yes. of storytelling every week. Correct. Every week. Beautiful. Every week. It's a ritual. Um, why, did you, why did you settle on storytelling? Uh, because back to the human uh, condition, right? This is... Um, this is how we've uh, kept records. Um, this is how you see cave paintings on a wall um, that have lasted thousands of years. This is how we transfer knowledge as human beings. Um, and it just, yeah, I guess the simplest way. <laughs> Why does that yeah. feel like a typically African thing to do? Like, I don't feel like people in America or people in Europe like love to tell stories the way we tell stories. Like we, we, are, we love stories here. It's a very good point, Kyle. Um, that's a very good point. And I think, uh, you know, I, um, I really believe there's an incredible opportunity um, today to kind of craft a new way of thinking about business and doing business um, that has a strong and unique African flavor. Um, I think we, 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 we spend too much time trying to absorb um, from the outside and trying to you know, copy and replicate. Um, and we don't spend enough time going, as you said, you know, this is uniquely us. Um, this is how we do things. How do we amplify that um, and bring that into a business environment? We don't spend enough time on that. And my sense is that this would be deeply energizing, um, especially in the country um, and during these times. It's just really um, celebrating what's intrinsic to us. Katleko, can I ask a question that what happens if you as the, or you or any of your founder members, someone shares a story about, keep it simple, or staying connected, and you don't actually agree with that story, or you don't think that is a manifestation of that value, how do you respond? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I first say it's never happened. And I feel like now that you've mentioned it's going to happen soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> um, so my, my first response is um, I, don't I would want to understand uh, how the essence of the value got misinterpreted and get to the root cause of that because that for me is the true failure not actually what the person said 
Okay. No, cool. I mean, it was probably a selfish question. You know, often I, I'm guilty of wanting to craft a narrative and maybe hold it too close, you know, and, and I think it's important to be able to, to sometimes you listen to, I often find Kotleko like you'll do a workshop and then at the end of a workshop, you'll, you'll say to people, so what was your takeaway from that? And they'll have this takeaway, and I'm like, really? Is that what you took away? <laughs> but, but, but you know, that's what they took away. So I, I suppose yes. you can't overly contrive it. There was something you said. You said so many little things that I, that I wanted to, to bounce on. Culture is read only. Yes. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually something um, I picked up uh, from a book called Brave New Work, um, written by Aaron Dignan, something I highly recommend as a book and it's this notion that um, uh, culture um, emerges right and in the end you can only describe what it is today right and whatever emerging whatever emerges is either through um, uh, deliberate sort of intent and action or something completely random um, or a combination of both. But in the end, um, the, the, the notion of, you know, try, you know, this is our culture, right? Or this is what our culture is going to be. Um, yeah, good luck, right? <laughs> it's just not yeah. like that. And that's 100%. what makes it read only that it's something that emerges, um, and, and it emerges over time. And, you know, the way you, you shape it in inverted commas starts a long, long time ago. Um, and even then, like, you don't have a lot of control over it. I mean, something uh, that, that uh, sort of, when I look at our culture, that just kind of always takes me aback. Um, and I would say it's not something we deliberately um, uh, said, this is who we are, um, is just the culture of care, right? Uh, just yeah. really seeing teammates like care about each other um, and, you know, look after each other and like support each other and like go to bat. It's not something we wrote down somewhere. Um, it's not ever something I sort of pronounced, you know, in a company meeting, like you all care for each other. Um, but it's something that's just there. I don't know where it came from. It's the most beautiful thing to observe. Um, and I guess, once again, that's another example of read-only. Yeah, yeah. Yet that doesn't get in the way for you of driving performance. Because I get a sense from you and from your organization that there's a real, like, there's some standards and there's accountability. And there's, like, is there, a, I'm asking a terrible question here, uh, but, like, there's obviously you found the balance between care and growth or drive. So... Tom, I think when, when I listened to Kadlecho on one of the, one of the interviews, you, you were talking about high performance, Kadlecho, and you were talking about at the same time people being themselves and how to uh, treating them as adults, I think was what, what you said in the, the interview, and how to create that environment that was, that was flat enough but that also inspired high performance while allowing somebody to be themselves. And, and ultimately what you said is, well, if you're not going to perform, then maybe this is not the place for you. And it was such a nice, uh, a nice way of going, well, yeah, here's a lovely environment for you to be in. Here's high performance. This is what we seek as our goals. Now go out there and do it your way within the larger structure. Yeah, Carl, you've articulated it very well. Um, so we, we believe in intrinsic uh, motivation. 
um, and our environment is designed around intrinsic motivation, right? So uh, we don't engage in um, what we call these manipulations in order to get sort of outcomes out of folks. Um, the environment is uh, orientated and uh, focused around supporting intrinsic motivation. And once again, this, this starts with the purpose um, and being very clear on that. It, it, it's having a very clear vision. This is where we're going. And then it's here are the tools um, and the toolbox and the formula um, and the support structures to help you get there. But now you go, right? And, and, and you make the stuff happen because you have everything you need. <laughs> so in that sense, um, the, the performance topic uh, just emerges, right? It's not a, it's not a um, this, this drum we're trying to beat or trying to motivate the folks. No, it kind of just emerges because you've created the conditions for it. And as you say, Kyle, um, this is not for everyone, right? So um, some folks prefer to be handheld or to have very strict parameters in which they can operate. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because, you know, uh, this sense of safety around the parameters and very clear parameters and, you know, we need you to do X, Y, and Z and this is how you're going to do it. Um, you know, uh, that elicits, you know, um, uh, a particular outcome with certain people. But our, in our environment where, you know, we're dealing in a very new space in a new customer segment that hasn't been served before and we're often walking in the dark and having to figure things out, um, you need to have an environment that uh, supports um, and enables creativity and creative problem solving. Otherwise, we're just not going to get to uh, uh, where we need to be. And in that sense, uh, the, 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 the performance topic is an outcome of people engaging in creative problem solving um, and using their resources, uh, subscribing to the vision and values, um, and, and having a sense of pride um, around the work that they're delivering. Perfect. When you, you spoke also about, I think, one was your, one of your, I want to say, annual sort of slogans was let's grow. And then you spoke about getting the right people on board to grow. And, you, and I think you mentioned about having energetic people. I mean, growth is an energetic thing. And having energetic people on board um, to help facilitate that. Is, that. is that part of your sort of um, uh, HR acquisition strategy as time changes? Do you look to get, uh, to, to get different people on board for the different stage that you're at throughout the company? Uh, so um, we're learning as we go. Uh, we haven't always got it right on the talent side. Um, but I would say... Um, we've mostly got it right um, and we've been able to attract some amazing uh, purpose-led uh, people into the organization who are really passionate about what what they do um, and they care about the mission and I guess you know if I were to really isolate um, what does someone who uh, does well or uh, sort of succeeds inside the organization or is able to make the highest contribution it's sort of three simple things um the one is um, 
an intrinsic connection to the purpose, as in, I see myself inside the purpose, right? And there's no convincing or uh, like beating the drum on that. It's just an instant, like, I get that. I see myself in that. I want to be a member of this. Um, the second piece is uh, somebody committed to mastering their craft. So they really want to be great at what they do. They want to go deep. Um, they're students. Um, they connect on the topic. They just want to get better and better and better and better at it. And then the third one is on the collaboration side and on the teaming side. Uh, we have this uh, uh, moniker in the organization that we're really starting to amplify, which is winning together. Right? So um, we all uh, uh, need to work together in order to get to the goals. These are the three things. It's really that. Um, and... Uh, you know, as we grow, we're going to be doing a lot of hiring um, over the next bit. You know, we have ambitious goals. And, um, you know, we have this uh, strategic imperative um, on the people side that we want to build teams that match our ambitious goals. It's like, it's got to be like at the same level. And um, to ensure that we get there and we're able to attract the right profile, we have to be super discerning um, on these three dimensions um, that I just described. Um, if we're not, as we grow, um, this can compromise uh, what we're trying to do. And this is always a challenge, right? When you're in fast growth, when you're scaling, when you have all these goals. Um, but we ne really need to uh, be uh, disciplined in this um, and continue to think long term. Thank you. Tom, sorry, I know, I, know, Kalecha, I know Tom wants to wrap fairly soon and is very conscious of your time. I have heard you, you speak of a, of a sort of a three-phase thing, ambition, stage, transition. Would you mind delving just a touch into that? Ah, great. Yeah, cool. So there's a, this topic called life cycle theory. And, um, you know, it's another way to think of a company or a product or a team or a market is you just imagine this bell curve, right? And, you know, at the beginning, you're trying to get going and you're getting into your early adopters, your early majority, um, your late majority, your laggards. It's the same thing with the product. You can also put it on a bell curve. Um, you know, you're first piloting, you're trying to nail it, you're trying to scale it, you're milking it and then you're shutting it down. Um, and it's the same with the team. Um, so, you know, you're um, doing a lot of heavy lifting at the beginning um, and, you know, doing a lot of hiring, a lot of growing. And then at some point that team begins to mature and it begins to level off. Right. And all of a sudden now it's time to, you know, ramp down that team alongside the products and the market that you're dealing with and like putting that talent through to, to new work. This is a really powerful framework to help you uh, think through um, where you are as a business. Where are you in this uh, uh, life cycle? And on the basis of where you are in that life cycle, this needs to dictate um, how you behave. And the ambition is where do you want to go? And where you are in the life cycle is how you need to behave. So, for instance, if you start introducing a bunch of processes um, when you're early in the life cycle, when you haven't even like figured out whether people like your product or you haven't even gotten into product market fit, but you're introducing all these processes to scale, like you may not even have anything to scale and you've just basically curtailed um, uh, innovation and, uh, and learning and a little bit of mess. 
So yeah, I hope that helps to explain a little bit um, all of that. Uh, this comes from a book called Organizational Physics, which I, which I highly recommend too. Tlatleko, um, thank you so, so much. I must say it has been, one always listens to the content of any conversation and then one gets a feel. And I think it's the same with, like, with an organization. When you walk into a place, you see stuff on the wall, but then you spend some time and you get a feel of the place. And I, I, I've really enjoyed the feel of this conversation. You've been so warm and so generous with your with your content and, and your time, obviously. But uh, thank you so much. I, 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 I have no doubt that it is an inspirational place to work with. Uh, to work is, is under you and with you. So thank you so, so much for your time. Um, if Pleasure I could time. ask, if I could ask you... Um, if, if you were to be super intentional about the next six months of your life as a, as, a, as a leader in your business, in a sentence, what are you being super intentional about? That's a great question. Um, so I'm spending a lot of my time on the people side, on hiring um, and ensuring that we're able to build these teams that match our ambitions. So that's got a lot of my attention. And then also starting to realize that as the company grows, as our leadership begins to mature um, and our role as founders begins to shift, really realizing that more and more um, our responsibility is constantly reminding everyone in the team why we're here um, and taking the time to tell the stories and to reinforce and just really uh, uh, helping folks understand like why does this organization exist right like mm. you know it's 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 so easy to miss um now with the remote work uh with um uh with the growth uh with more and more people coming on um and i just really see this as a core responsibility now to dedicate as much time to it Katleko, Mapai, thank you so, so, so much. We've loved it. And um, yeah, we look forward to following your progress and uh, hopefully chatting to you again soon. So thank you so, so much and have a great day. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Carl. Thanks to your listeners. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks very much. Cool, Carl. Yeah, thanks uh, once again. Great to be back. And um and just to listen to someone, you know, often you read these these books and these things about your why and your purpose, and it can be a little bit ho-hum at times, but I found Katleko to embody it and explain it, their purpose really, really clearly and well and, and in an enticing manner. So, so that was my takeaway. What was, what was yours? Yeah, I mean, Chief is you're 100% right. I think everybody talks about, you know, know your why, know your why. But like you said, he, he doesn't just know his why. He lives his why, executes his why. His why sort of drives everything he does from a day-to-day basis. Um, what a pleasure to listen to to Katlejo uh, speak about his, his journey to that point and, and, uh, and how they've got there and how much he's been focusing on the human element of it. And I think that's something that often gets put, put a little bit to the side in, in the business environment. Great, Carl. Well, I'm glad we're back on the road, and uh, and we'll we'll have some uh, some great guests coming up as well. So yeah, thank you for that. I can't wait to listen back to that, and um, have a super week. I hope you're enjoying bubble life, and uh, all the best for the next one coming up. I will do. Have a great week, everyone, and thanks so much for listening. Please keep following us, and um, we'll have some other uh, some great episodes on the way.